morning. Today's reading uh, is found on page 1134 of the Bibles and the chairs in front of you. Uh, it's Romans 8, verses 12 to 17. So page 1134, Romans 8, 12 to 17. And this is continuing on from where uh, Paul has been talking about living with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you brought about The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Thank you, Mark. Um... Now, we have a bread maker at home, and when I came downstairs early this morning, there was a lovely smell coming up the stairs and uh, a loaf of freshly baked bread. And uh, I did one yesterday that was slightly different, freshly baked biscuit, and uh, it was deliberate. I didn't put yeast. So this one here, I didn't put yeast in it. The one I baked overnight, I did put yeast in it. Look at the difference. Now, I think the extraordinary thing is, this, to my mind, is not a loaf of bread. I know unleavened bread and all that, but actually, to my mind, this is a loaf of bread. And, uh, uh, and I would say, if you're going to have a decent loaf of bread, if you're going to have a loaf of bread at all, then you've got to have yeast in it. It's essential. Now, this morning, we're thinking about, are we working? Oh, look at this. And uh, so this morning, we're thinking about the Holy Spirit being essential in our Christian lives. And uh, let me tell you, well, that's very interesting, because I put another picture in, and it's gone. So never mind. Um, ignore that for a moment. But um, let me tell you about something else. <clears throat> about 20 years ago, I was driving home from, I'd been, we lived in Lowestoft, I was driving home from Chichester Harbour, and I was driving home for our evening service, because I was uh, 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 speaking, I think, at our evening service. And uh, uh, if you know the A12 at Ipswich, it goes over the River Orwell. The Orwell Bridge is a huge, great big bridge on the River Orwell. Got to the top of the bridge, and every warning light came on in the car, and then the engine started making this dreadful kind of noise. And, uh, and it stopped, and we drifted down the far side, and, uh, <coughs> uh, uh, and then stopped. And, and then it transpired when the breakdown guy came along. He said, uh, well, something has come off at the bottom of your engine. There is no oil in your engine. And the engine, the car was 13 months old, and the engine was absolutely destroyed, because oil is essential for a diesel engine. Strangely, since then, I've never bought another Renault. Can't imagine why that should be. But, uh, but there we are. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. So, uh, so there are things, aren't there, which are essential. Yeast is essential for bread. Oil is essential for a diesel engine. I imagine if you've got an electric one, it's probably okay. Um, and the Holy Spirit is essential for our Christian lives. So we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. And let's pray and ask God that will help us to understand this well and apply it to our lives.
Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives in each one of us if we're Christians, as uh, we've seen in this reading. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to see how this all works out, and to see just the simple and straight fact, Lord, that he is essential in our lives as Christians. Please speak to us today, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So the whole of Romans 8 is a, is a wonderful chapter, <clears throat> and we're going to lot, learn a lot about the Holy Spirit uh, as we're going through uh, Romans chapter 8. And uh, some people have said to me, well, uh, BH, you're the, you're the kind of church where uh, you have a different sort of trinity, don't you? Uh, you don't have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have Father, Son, and Bible. And, uh, uh, and I would say, no, that's loud and clear, that's not the case. Actually, our trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is essential for the Christian life. And it, he is essential for our life uh, as a church together. So there are four points I want to make this morning. The first one is to say this, and this is kind of uh, a linking in with what's happened before uh, <clears throat> and last week and David's sermon then. The first thing I want to say this morning is this. The Holy Spirit is essential for the Christian life. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, essential for eternal life. Second, the Holy Spirit is essential for power to live this life. So if we're going to live for Jesus, then we, 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 the, the, we need to realize that the Holy Spirit is there as power for us to live this life. Third, the Holy Spirit is essential for adoption. As Christians, we've been adopted, and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit has, uh, has worked in our lives as adopted sons and daughters of Jesus, of God. And then the fourth, the Holy Spirit is essential for us to have confidence as Christian believers, confidence that we have life. So the first one, essential for eternal life. This is the first point that's on the screen there. Now this is the underlying truth and the kind of context of the passage. Our passage is verses 12 to 17, page 1134-1135. And it begins with the word, therefore. And you know, when you see the word therefore, you've got to ask yourself what it's there for. You've got to go back and look and see what came before it. When you see the word for in verse 14, the first word there, you have to go back. So what we're seeing in this passage is, is a, uh, um, uh, it's a, it's an argue. It goes through. It's an argued thing all the way through. And in verse 12 here, um, it's saying, here in verse 12 you've got to look back and in verse 11 it says and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you so he's saying if you're a Christian you've got the Holy Spirit in your life he is there residing in your life and as he lives in you then he will uh, give life to your mortal bodies we will die but we will be given life, life which goes on forever. Um, uh, so when we die, we will be raised to be uh, with God forever. So, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit, you see here, it's going on from there in verse 12 and into our passage. We have the Holy Spirit. He's part of our lives. He's essential for eternal life if we're Christians. And you see he's here in verse 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. He keeps on being mentioned here. So if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. 
And you don't receive him later on. It's not, it's not an added blessing or something like that. Some people used to teach that. That's wrong. It's not true. If you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit in your life. You have received him. So look at verse 15 here. Look at the beginning of verse 15. And it talks about the spirit you received, past tense, when you became a Christian. Look at the end of verse 15. The spirit you received, past tense, when you became a Christian. And so thank God for him. Thank God daily that you have the spirit in your life. And thank God. And you say to him, Lord, I have the Holy Spirit in my life. What a brilliant thing to have happened. I praise you for him. That you reside in my life by your Holy Spirit. Why not make that your daily prayer, as well as praying for the church operations manager post? So the Spirit's essential. Essential for the Christian life. Because every Christian has eternal life. Every Christian has the Spirit. So I look out at you now. You're a bunch of people. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. Wonderful. Second. The Holy Spirit is essential for power to live life. Essential for power to live life. So, for instance, look at the end of verse 13 here. Uh, And it talks about, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. And if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. that's, That's saying, by means of the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. But we need to go back a step. So just come with me back to verse 12 there. And he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. That is a duty. Okay? And he says, because you're a Christian, because the Spirit is living in you, Because of that same spirit will give life to your mortal body, from verse 11. Because everything is different now, you have the Holy Spirit. Because you're heading for heaven now, because you've got a new life now, therefore, Christian brothers and sisters, he says, well, we have an obligation. We also have a sinful nature still. We have, uh, it's called the flesh. It's not the flesh here, you see. Um, we have an obligation. It's not to the flesh. I lived according to that way. So you could live according to the flesh, which means, you know, giving into temptations and, ju- and, and, and just living the life we want to live and a natural kind of life that, we, that we've had before we became Christians. But we have a new life now. And our obligation now, our duty now, is to the spirit who now lives in us. And our obligation, our duty, if you look at the end of verse 13, is to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And as we do that, that desire becomes more and more part of our lives. And the promise is you'll live, that after you die, you will live in heaven for eternity. Now, this putting to death, let's have a look at this. Um, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and uh, it it used to be called mortification, Victorian times, it would be called mortification. That is killing sin and rebellion against God in your life and mine. As As we ruthlessly turn from sinful motivations and practices, and with a sense of our debt, our duty to God's love and grace. And you see, this, this mortification, this putting to death here, it's ruthless. It's a full-hearted rejection 
of all that is wrong. It's a full-hearted resistance to sin. And in the original, it's violence. It's a violent word. And it's total. So here it's saying, this is a total and violent rejection of all that is wrong. And it's a declaration of war on our attitudes and our behaviors, which are wrong. You see, what he's saying is, we don't just kind of gradually and bit by bit wean ourselves off sin, like a, uh, like you wean a, um, a, a little baby and so on off, off their mother's milk. And it's not a matter of, well, you know, I think I can keep this under control, because you can't and you won't. It's saying avoid sin. It's saying avoid things which lead to sin. It's saying avoid all things which are doubtful. And it's saying, guys, this is war. I wonder if you've ever declared war on sin and the devil in your life. Well, you did actually when you became a Christian. That's what becoming a Christian is. It's declaring war on the devil and all that he would have us do and all sin in our lives. And would you do that again today? Just perhaps quietly before the end of the service. But how do we do this? Well, how do we practically put to death, as he says here, the misdeeds of the body? Well, Tim Keller, New York pastor, um, suggests that we preach a Christ-centered mini-sermon to ourselves and we're tempted. So uh, we take our temptations to the gospel and we say to ourselves, Moon, Jesus died for you. Jesus was raised for you. And Jesus is coming back for you. And he loves you. And you still want to do this? And when sin, and remember in Romans 7, as we saw just recently, it's still a battle. There is a war on. But when we do sin, then actually uh, I think this... um, I wonder if this is in here as well. Here we are, yeah. There's John Owen. He looks a bit sad, doesn't he? Puritan guy, 17th century. He wrote this. Um, After he had committed a particular sin, he wrote this. What have I done? What love, mercy, what blood, what grace have I despised and trampled on? Is this the return I make to the Father for his love, to the Son for his blood, to the Spirit for his grace? Do I thus requite the Lord? Have I defiled the heart that Christ died to wash? What can I say to the dear Lord Jesus? Do I account communion with him of so little value? Shall I endeavor to disappoint the very purpose of the death of Christ? And in all this, we must remember how weak we are. You can't resist sin on your own. You see, the Spirit is given to us as the means of resisting sin in our lives. He gives us the power to resist. The power to say no, no, no. The power to run away from sin. The power to say, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going to go Jesus' way tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and so on. And it's a daily non-stop crying out to God that by his spirit within me, please help me to resist sin. There's a war on. But God has given us his spirit as the means 
the means to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Third, the spirit is essential for the adoption to have life. Now, we're going to talk about adoption now. And uh, in verses 14 to 17, it's talking about being children of God. So look at verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Sinclair Ferguson was a Scottish pastor. He said this, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation, the goal of redemption. And adoption is brilliant. I need to just say, we're not all adopted children of God, as if the whole of mankind were God's children. Because the whole of mankind are not God's children. You know the hymn, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, Forgive Our Foolish Ways? God is not the Lord and Father of all mankind. He's the Lord of mankind, but he's not the Father of everyone. Because not all mankind are Christians. But God is the Father of all who are Christians. Let's be clear about that. And let me explain sonship in verse 15 here. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We'll come to Abba a little bit later on. But your adoption to sonship. Now, 21st century people, you could well be thinking sonship. That's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? I mean, what about sonship and daughtership? What about children of God? And that's probably the way we would put it. But it's interesting, if you look at the NIV footnotes, the reason he wrote sonship is interesting and it's very significant. Because in first century Rome, an adopted son, and it would only be a son, has the same privilege as a natural child. And it was quite common in those days for someone who didn't have a male heir would adopt a son... And it could be someone who's quite old, could be someone even, you know, the same age or just slightly younger, an adult. But they would adopt them as their heir. And it was, in those days, it was only possible for that to be a man or a boy in the Roman Empire to be adopted. And uh, if you're a Christian, you are adopted as God's child. And it applies to men and women, of course, doesn't it? Boys and girls. So what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 8 and verse uh, 15 is actually quite subversive. Because he's taking something which is specifically applied only to males, and he applies it to males and females within the church. And by the way, if you think that's a bit odd, the New Testament does this kind of thing sometimes, doesn't it? Because, guys, you're the bride. (laughs) So we are the bride of Christ, male and female. That includes the guys. We are the bride of Christ. So so these things, male, female things, don't worry too much about it. But probably in our culture today, let's talk about being sons and daughters of the living God. But this adoption is wonderful. And when adoption happens, when adoption happens in our lives, it's brilliant. Because our old debts, our old obligations are all paid off for us. When adoption happens, we're given a new name and we become an heir of all that the father has. When adoption happens, the father instantly is liable for all of our actions. When adoption happens, there are now new obligations to honor and please the father. When adoption happens, we're in the family of the father. 
Adoption is just a huge thing for Christian people. We are adopted into God's family. And though those are all true in a legal adoption, it's all true in a spiritual adoption as well. So when you became a Christian, you were adopted into God's family by his spirit. Your debts were cancelled. Your spiritual debts, the punishment due to pay for your sin, has been paid. And your debts, they're therefore cancelled, gone, wiped out. Got a new name because you've got a new nature. You become an heir of all the Father has. You are now an heir of the universe if you're a Christian. And the Father is liable for your actions, as even your future sins have been nailed to the cross of Christ. And of course, we now have new obligations to honor and please our Heavenly Father, our Abba, our Daddy. See, we used to live in fear. Look at verse 15. But there's no fear with Abba. When you call your daddy, daddy, you are there expressing love and trust and confidence and security and intimacy. And we call our heavenly father, Abba. Daddy, what a privilege. And you see, it's all the work of the Spirit of God. And by him, the end of verse 15, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Without the Spirit, there's no adoption. There's no wonder of having God as our loving Father, your Abba. You see, the Spirit is essential for adoption to have new life. And fourth, the Holy Spirit is essential for confidence that we have this life. I'm going to be brief. With adoption, we don't choose our parents. Well, we never choose our parents, do we? Um, we don't negotiate. If you're, if you're adopted, it wasn't negotiated by you. And when we're adopted into God's family, it's all God's doing. It's God's work. We need to emphasize that. So, again, at the end of verse 15 there, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And before that, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And then the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The spirit makes us aware. Now, look at verse 15. The spirit himself testifies. That word testify in the original, is the word marturia, from which we get our word martyr. And it was used originally as of an authoritative witness, if you like, the clincher in a court case. So this last week we've been hearing uh, about um, Alicia McPhail, six-year-old who was murdered on the island of Butte in Scotland about a year ago. No, it was last summer. It was last summer. And uh, uh, we heard that there was a 16-year-old lad uh, who was found guilty on Thursday, and he was named on Friday. There he is, Aaron Campbell. Why was he found guilty? Because they found his DNA on Alicia's body. 
And the likelihood of that DNA belonging to anyone else is more than a billion to one chance. It was his DNA. That was the clincher. That was the martyria in the trial. That was the thing that found him guilty. Now, as Christian people, we have a martyria in our lives. We have a clincher in our lives. But it's not a horrible negative thing, as it was in that illustration of Aaron Campbell there. Ours is a much more joyful clincher, martyria, in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the clincher. The Holy Spirit is one who will testify with our spirits beyond reasonable doubt that we are God's sons and daughters, that we are God's children. Yeah, we still struggle with sin. We all do. But the spirit of Christ within us guarantees that one day, with him, we will inherit the earth with Christ in a resurrection body in which sin will be no more. And that gives us confidence, doesn't it? Confidence to plough on in the war. The war which sometimes is a real grind, but we plough on and we plough on day by day by day because we have the witness of the Spirit in our lives that we are God's sons and daughters. Our guarantee and therefore our confidence of our future inheritance. And you see, we struggle with sin. Well, you still struggle with sin. And because we have the Spirit in our lives, we do struggle rather than just accepting it. We fight against it. There's a war on. And you see in verse 17, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, that is struggling onwards against sin. So our onward struggle with sin is that one of the proofs of the Spirit's work in our lives and the power that he gives us to be able to withstand it. Sometimes we trip up, sometimes it goes wrong, yeah, but then we stand up, brush ourselves down, ask for God's forgiveness, and we get on the road again. As the Spirit works in our lives, making us want to live for Jesus day by day and gradually grinding forward in this, in this war that we're in now. So thank God for the Spirit. Thank God for the Spirit in our lives. Thank God that one day we will share his glory. And thank God that the Spirit, as we've seen this morning, is fundamental. He is essential in our Christian lives. Essential because he lives in us. Essential because he gives us the power to live life. The power to live the life that God wants us to. Essential because he's brought us to adoption as God's children. And essential because he gives us a confidence in our hearts that we belong to God and we will be his forever. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the spirit in our lives. And we praise you, Lord, that uh, he, he, he is essential. He's there and he's essential, fundamental for our Christian lives. Lord, thank you so much for him and his work to reassure us, to give us confidence, to give us joy, to give us life. Thank you. And we praise you for the spirit of God. Amen.